get to your seats. Uh, <clears throat> last week, I uh, made an announcement about the, uh, the Mercy House, and a number of you uh, signed up in the, the Welcome Center showing an interest in serving in that ministry. Um, the Mercy House is run by Forgotten Ministries. It is an outreach to uh, homeless people within our community. And we are uh, looking for uh, a team of people, uh, 10 people that would be willing to serve one night a month. Uh, the commitment is from 4 to 7 p.m. It would just involve uh, helping check uh, the residents in for the night and uh, preparing uh, a meal and serving them and, and helping with cleanup. If this is something that uh, you'd be interested in, you can sign up uh, in the Welcome Center, and then we'll be uh, just gauging if we have uh, enough from our church that we can really say, yes, this is something we'll commit to, and uh, we'll be contacting you and letting you know what the next steps are. <clears throat> Before we get into our text this morning, I... I just want to take a moment and ask for your prayer for our family. Uh, We were very excited to uh, come here to the church family at at Enid, and we're confident that this is what uh, God had called our family to. And uh, as, as we came here, uh, we uh, discovered for our family that this was a harder transition than we thought that uh, it was going to be. And uh, we're going through some significant trials in our family right now. And, and I, I share that with you this morning for a couple of reasons. One is that as a man, I see that my primary responsibility is to see that the gospel is treasured in my family, and that Christ is honored in my family. And so I stand here this morning and and tell you that this is my commitment uh, to continue to see Christ really show his supremacy in our family's lives. As an elder, I recognize that 1 Timothy 3 says that I am to be accountable to these things. And so I've been working with uh, my fellow elders. I'm grateful for their encouragement and their support uh, for our family as we work through this. And uh, I'm asking you to to join me in prayer. And we are confident that God, uh, God's grace will be displayed, that the gospel will triumph uh, and that, and that this is something that, as together, uh, we will be able to praise God as a church family for his work. If you want to know how you can pray specifically for us, I'm really glad you're here this morning, because that's really what this text is about. This text is teaching us how to pray for each other. And so as we open it up this morning, I want to ask you to join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, break open the bread of life for us this morning. Nourish us, feed us from your word. God, I I pray that you will stir up a hunger and a thirst for you, for your righteousness, for your glory in this time we have this morning. And I pray that there would be a work this morning that would bear fruit. 
not only in the coming days, but weeks, months, that your spirit would stir in the life of our church. For the glory of Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen. I ask you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the letter of Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 15 through 23 this morning. Ephesians 1 verses 15 through 23. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. John Stott was a pastor in England in the second half of the 20th century. And in 2005, Time magazine recognized him as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. And in in writing on this passage, Stott observed that there are two errors that believers can make about the gospel. Two errors that are particularly uh, plague Christians. And, and one of these errors is that we believe that the gospel is given to us so that we can have bigger blessings. There are greater blessings than the gospel and that the gospel just opens them up to us. There's another error that we can make and that is that we hear the blessings of the gospel, and we receive them, and we take them so much for granted that we never really experience the greatness of the blessings that God has given to us in the gospel. Stott observes that this section here in Ephesians is the antidote to both of those errors. Because what Paul is, is doing here for us is helping us to see really what the blessings are that God has given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that causes us to find joy in what God has given to us. If you notice with me in verse 15, Paul says, for this reason. For what reason? 
Verses 3 to 14, Paul has just been unfolding the blessings of the gospel. Back in verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to to unfold what these blessings look like in, in adoption and in redemption and in inheritance. And so this is the reason why Paul is saying, now I'm going to pray for you. That Paul has heard from the Ephesians. He's, he's not with them. He's actually in prison and he's received a report about life in the Ephesian church. And as he hears this report, he hears, this is a church that has remained faithful. And this is a church that their faith has now been expressing itself in the fact that they are loving, not just those who are close to them, but they are loving all of God's people. And now Paul says, because I've heard this, I'm going to pray for you even more. And so what Paul is doing is he is being motivated to pray for these believers. And he's saying, here's what I'm going to pray for you. And if I could could summarize what's moving Paul to pray and what then the, the, the driving aim of this prayer is. What is it that Paul is really trying to do? Is that Paul is trying to, to stir up what he has said three times in, the, in verses 3 to 14. The praise of his glory. Three times we've seen to the praise of God's glory for the blessings of the gospel. How is that going to happen? How is is God going to be seen as as wonderful and excellent? And so so here's the summary. God is glorified when we seek a greater experience of the blessings of the gospel. How is God seen to be this, this treasure that is more valuable than any other treasure that we could have? How is God seen to be great and and powerful? God is is glorified. God is seen to be this this all-satisfying treasure when we look at the blessings he's given to us and say, I want to find greater joy in those blessings. How do I have a greater experience of the blessings of the gospel? That's what glorifies God. This is so important for us because we live in a culture where we are are always being presented with the next big thing. You know, that's been Samsung's kind of tagline. The next big thing is here. They finally outdid themselves and gave us a smartphone that blows up. (laughs) And it's like, how ironic. You you keep pushing and keep pushing for something better, and finally it's going to blow up. And and so this is so important for us to hear in our culture is that that what we need is, is, is not something greater, but a greater experience of what we already have. So this is a prayer that is a model for us. This is a prayer that's a model for what we should pray for ourselves. It's a model for what we should be praying for for each other. This is a model for wives and what they can pray for their husbands. And and this is a model for for parents. This is what you can be praying for your kids. And so prayer is given to us that we might tap into this unlimited fountain of God's grace. That God's grace is this fountain that's never going to be exhausted. And how is it that we're going to experience it? Paul actually gives us five spigots this morning. Five spigots that we can turn on in prayer that we can be showered with God's grace. And so the first spigot that we get this morning is the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The illumination of the Holy Spirit Follow with me in verse 17. 
where Paul asks that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. So the first thing that Paul is praying for is he says, I want you to have a particular experience of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Some uh, translations actually just say here, a spirit of wisdom or spiritual wisdom. But I think Paul is particularly thinking of the work of the Holy Spirit here. He's, he calls it the spirit of wisdom in the, the ESV because as he, he looks back across the pages of Scripture, he saw that, that this was a characteristic that was promised of the Messiah. Look with me at uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. How would the Messiah be recognized? It would be that the spirit of wisdom and understanding would be on him. That this is how God wants to make his presence known in your life is that you would have God's spirit working in you in such a way that you have wisdom and understanding. And it's a particular understanding. It's an understanding of the knowledge of God. You realize that we can read the Bible in English, but that you're not really going to know God unless His Spirit actually helps you to know Him. It's wonderful that we teach our kids verses in Awana, but a kid can memorize every single Awana verse and still not actually know God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We need the Holy Spirit to be at work in our life so that we can actually know God. And this, this is so important for us, because it, what is it that you're facing in life? That when, when you come to a particular trial in life, what you think is, God, what do you want me to do? And what this is saying is, first of all, we need to say, God, help me to know you. Give me a work of your spirit to know you. This is what God wants to give you. This is, this, the, the Ephesians already had the spirit. We see that in in verse 13 and 14, where Paul said to them, he said, when you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So they have the Spirit. What they need is for the work of the Spirit to be displayed in them in knowing God. So I, I want to urge you, seek God. Seek his grace. Drink from the spigot of his grace in the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, hope in God's purpose. Hope in God's purpose. This is the second spigot to to drink from God's grace. You know, if you've ever found yourself in the dark, it can be something uh, that's very disorienting, especially if uh, you're in a room and the power goes out and now you just, you feel like you're going to stumble over things. There is another darkness that you find yourself in a situation where the darkness leads to a sense of hopelessness. And and, and what is being promised here is hope. That the Holy Spirit wants to shine his light into your heart. You can have eyes to see life clearly. And when you see life clearly, when you see God clearly, God wants to give you hope. 
Hope is an amazing thing. That, that you, if you have a solid hope, your situation doesn't have to change, and yet you can, you can thrive in the middle of that situation because your eyes are lifted above your circumstances. And God wants to give you hope, but it's a particular hope. This is not just a generic hope. It's not just a feeling. It's not just saying, find hope in some dream you have. Look with me. What is the hope in verse 18? It's the hope to which he has called you. God has a particular hope that he wants to give you based upon his call. What is the call of God? What is the call of God for you? You realize that the call of God for you is the same as the call of God for me. It's the call of God on all of his people. We saw that call told to us clearly in in verse 9 and 10. Notice how verse 9 ends. He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So God is at work to unite everything in Jesus. That all of the fragmented pieces of life, all of the brokenness of life is going to be brought together in Jesus. So God's call is a call to you to be brought into a connection with Jesus Christ. God wants to unite you to Jesus. And there's a hope in that. There is a hope that that is given to you that is durable. Because Jesus is King of Kings and he's Lord of Lords. God is going to accomplish what he began. This is a call Uh, To find hope in God's call and his purpose is is a call to Christ. It's it's a call to holiness, to to being devoted to God. It's a call to freedom. It's a call to peace. It is a call to suffering. It's also a call to glory. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24 says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Now, when you see this word sanctify, I want you to think being fully devoted to God. May the God of peace himself make you fully devoted to him. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the promise, here's the hope. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Don't give up the struggle. Seek the hope of God's purpose and drink from the spigot of his grace. Thirdly, there's this third spigot. It's the spigot of the riches of God's people. The riches of God's people. See, when the Holy Spirit gives light to the eyes of your heart, you you, you see life as God sees it. Not only do you have hope, but look with me next. In verse 18, it says, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? This kind of surprised me the first time I I read it. I started chewing on it. Because it says, The riches of his glorious inheritance. You know what I expected to see there? I expected to see that I would find the riches of my inheritance. But that's not what it says. It's the riches of his inheritance. What is God's inheritance? This is what we looked at last week. That God's inheritance is his people. It's the people that he received when Jesus died on the cross. 
that this is, we are God's treasured possession. So when the prayer is that we would know the riches of God's glorious inheritance, it's that we would know the riches of God's people. We would know the riches of the church. That Paul is actually saying, I want you to know what great riches you have in the gathering of God's people together. When it says the saints here, we have to go back to chapter 1, verse 1. When Paul, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. That the, the saints are believers. So God has something for you in his people. That there is a resource for you in life that is found in the church. F.F. F. Bruce was, was uh, writing on this, and he said, it's amazing to consider what is actually being stated here. That people like you and me, who still have so much sin and fragments in our lives, so, so many uh, remnants of, of our past life, so many failings to, to become what God has called us to become, and yet... God has called us his people, not because there's anything that's special about us. It's because he united us to Jesus. See, that's what makes the church so valuable, is that we have been united to Christ. And we are the people that God looks at the very same way that he looks at his son. If you want to know God's grace in your life, press into the riches of God's people, the church. Drink from the spigot of God's grace in seeking to know what God has given you in the church. Fourth, There's this fourth spigot of grace, and it's God's death-defying power. God's death-defying power. So when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, you see the power of God in a way that you didn't know before. Because look with me in verse 19. It says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? This should be a great encouragement to us that God is not simply putting his power on display like a cosmic fireworks show to simply show how great he is. He is actually directing his power. He he is pointing it toward you. This is not a power that it can be found anywhere in nature because nature has no power anywhere to undo death. We can channel power in this world in a lot of ways, but we cannot undo something that has died. We cannot bring life from death. And yet that is exactly what God did when he raised Jesus from the dead. And that is the power that God wants to unleash in your life. You may be at at a place where you say, my my marriage is, is dead. My, my relationship with my kid is dead. My, my relationship with that neighbor is dead. But God has a power at work toward you 
It's a power that brings life from death. That power is a power that God wants to give you because of Christ. And so seek God's death-defying power and drink from the spigot of his grace. Fifth, this is the last spigot, the greatest spigot of God's grace in your life. And it's Christ's supremacy over all things. The supremacy of Christ over all things is a gift that God has given to us that we might experience his grace. Because if we keep reading, it says that this is a power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. The Ephesians had had experiences with power. Because one of the things that Ephesus was known for, uh, of of all of the different things that that made Ephesus significant, one of the things that they did is that uh, they were specialists in creating books and, uh, and fragments that had incantations and spells and rituals that, that people could, uh, could use to, uh, to either ward off evil or to try to coerce the gods into doing something for them. And, and so, so people would buy up these books. They, they would take these fragments and, and they would, would roll them up and, and place them in little vials and wear them around their necks. The, the Ephesus was all about Finding sources of power and supremacy. But what happened when the gospel came to Ephesus? We see in Acts chapter 19 that when the gospel came to Ephesus and people started believing, they encountered the power of God and the supremacy of Christ in such a way that they said, all of the money that we have spent on these books is not important to us anymore. And so they gathered up, the Christians started gathering up the books that they had had bought, all of these amulets they had bought, and they, they burned them publicly. Because they had experienced the blessing of the supremacy of Christ. This is a wonderful gift that is given to us. You realize that that in the Old Testament, the greatest displays of God's power always came with a reminder that people had to be kept away from him. Remember when when God comes on, on Mount Sinai. God is thundering from Mount Sinai. And what happens? He tells Moses to set up boundaries around the base of the mountain that people cannot come up. The prophet Isaiah, he has this vision of God in the temple. And what happens when he sees this vision of God? He says in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The Lord hasn't changed. Hebrews 13.8 says, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That, that God's power and His holiness have not been diminished in any way. We are not to think of Jesus as, as some kind of genie at our disposal. And yet, 
the blessing of the gospel is that Christ is near to us. That God has given Christ to us, his people. The Great Commission begins by Jesus declaring all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he ends with the promise, I am with you always. What, there is nothing in life that stands between you and Jesus. There's no person, there's no problem, there's no power that stands between you and Jesus. I want to urge you to seek the supremacy of Christ in all things in your life and drink from the spigot of God's grace. Do you realize what God has given to us in the gospel? God has given us amazing resources for life. He has given us the resources of his spirit. He has given us hope. He has given us his people. He has given us power. And he has given us Christ. What would happen if you started praying this prayer? If you started praying for a greater experience of these blessings? I do want to give you a warning. If you start praying this prayer, you might find first that life gets harder for you. Here's what I mean. The other day I was out running. As I was out on my morning run, I got to the, the place where I turned around. And my, my, my run had been going great until I turned around. And then as soon as I turned around, I got hit with this headwind. I didn't realize that I had been running with the wind at my back. And as soon as I turned around, I was blown backwards. And I said, wow, I have to fight against a headwind. If you start praying this prayer, it's possible that in turning towards God, you are going to get hit with a sense of, wow, I didn't realize that I had actually been running with the tailwind of this world. That could happen to you. But I want to encourage you to not give up. Because as you turn around, if you, if you hear the, feel the blast of the wind, know that in praying this prayer, what you are praying for is all of God to be at work in your life on your behalf. You are praying for the Father of glory to come to your aid. You are praying for the Spirit to enlighten the eyes of your heart. You are praying for the supremacy of Christ to be near to you. What you're doing is, is you're showing God His Word. You're showing God what He said and you're saying, God, be true to your word and all of God will come to your behalf. How would you know? How would you know that this prayer that you're praying is actually going to get answered in your life? What would you be looking for? Well, if this prayer was really being answered in your life, how do you think it would change your personal time with God? Do you think that your personal time with God would get changed in such a way that, that you wouldn't be content to simply read a devotional that had more of man's words than God's words? That you would 
crave more of God's Word in your life? If you started praying this prayer, what do you think would happen in your gospel community? If God was answering this prayer in your gospel community, what kinds of things would you be looking for? Do you think maybe in your gospel community that that you would say, wow, are, are we really getting together enough? What might God have for us as as his people when we get together? Do you think that when when God starts answering this prayer, that that it's going to lead to to praying for greater and deeper things? That you're going to say, it's it's not enough simply for us to pray for my aunt's cousin's cancer. What more might God do? I was having a conversation with someone recently here and asked uh, this person that was like, oh, you know, why did you move to Enid? And as we were talking, the person just said, you know, nobody wants to move to Enid. Now, suspend judgment on that for just a minute. You realize that when Jeremiah Harian was here a few weeks ago from Forgotten Ministries and he started talking about the Mercy House, he said that there are people from all over the United States that are coming here to co- because they've heard about the Mercy House. Like, there are people that want to come to Enid. Why do they want to come to Enid? Because they have heard about the grace of God that's on display here. You know, it, what, what if God started answering this prayer and, and the impact on, on our church and the impact on, on our lives was such that the people started, being, started saying, I'm so glad I moved to Enid. Can you believe, uh, here in Enid, I have known the presence of God in a way I've, I've never known him before. What would happen if we started praying this prayer? You know, we say that, that we are all about gospel and people and mission here as a church. That, that we want to be a, peop- a gospel-shaped people on mission with Christ in the world. You know This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to treasure the gospel. To say, God, what you have given me is so great. I I want to know it more. Give me an experience of your spirit to know you more. Give me the hope of your calling. Give me the, the riches of your people. Give me an experience of your death defying power over sin in my life. God, give me a sense of the supremacy of Christ over all things in such a way that, that I don't just engage in, in mission activities. Like as, as great as sending these boxes are, we want to be a people who are sent. And that's what this prayer is about. That we would be the people so full of God that we are sent out and overflow by glorifying God and treasuring all that he's given to us in the gospel. Will you pray this prayer with me? Will you pray it with me? Let's pray together. Our wonderful Heavenly Father, we praise you as the one who did not abandon your Son in the grave, but raised him up by your power and exalted him high above all things. And God, I pray now, because of the work of Jesus, 
for my brothers and sisters who are here. I pray that you would open up the eyes of their hearts, that you would give them a, an experience of the Holy Spirit in their lives to, to know you in new ways. To, to not just simply know more information about you, but to know you. And I pray that in knowing you, that they would have a hope unlike any other hope that they have had. That they would find a hope in your purpose for them. I pray, Father, that this would be a church, that we would be the people where your glory is on display, where people are able to to find in us riches beyond anything else they could chase out in this world. I pray, Father, that that we would know your power to overcome the, the, the darkness and death of sin. That we would have a power to overcome fear and anxiety. A power to overcome the pressures that this world puts on us. And Father, I pray that we would be a people that would know the supremacy of Christ in all of life. And that our greatest joy would be seeing Christ as lifted up high above all other powers. And yet our precious Savior who is near to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.